Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Jack English and this is City Hall Stories. These are conversations with local government leaders who are imagining, designing and creating our future societies. Aspirational governance is the most effective way to build a healthier future. And this podcast is built to be a source of inspiration for anyone who looks out their window and says, let's do better. I hope the incredible humans you'll hear from deliver that inspiration. Pete Burek is the director of Civic Lab Norfolk in Norfolk, Virginia. His work building this office of innovation has seen him recognised in the top 20 most influential local government professionals, and Civic Lab Norfolk has driven projects across city government, resulting in massive efficiency and customer service gains. We talk about how to implement innovation in the most cautious industry there is, local government, what differentiates nice-to-have and need-to-have technology, and what his office is doing to help address climate risk in Norfolk. Please enjoy my conversation with Pete Burek. Pete, I was thinking about how to begin this conversation and something struck me about your background that I wanted to touch on. Listeners of the show will no doubt have picked up on the co-mingling between military and local government with several guests having had extensive military backgrounds. Do you think there are any commonalities between the industries that lead to local government being such an attractive path for ex-military? Yeah, Jack, I think I think there is. And for me, I think it really comes down to the commonality of uh, service between being in the military and, and serving the community through local government. So I, um, I have to quote a previous city manager here in Norfolk who, uh, who said something along these lines that really inspired me and, and I try to channel every day. And he said that local government, public service is a calling and some folks are cut out for it because it really inspires them you know, to, to get up every day and, and do their job. And, and for others, that calling isn't there and that's okay, but this is a uh, a unique work environment. You know, it really all is, is about service to one's fellow residents. And so I think that's the, the, the common tie there is when I was in the military, uh, I was drawn to that because it was a service-oriented profession. Uh, I had seen my dad go through a career in, in uh, the military and had talked to my paternal grandfather about that, his time uh, serving in World War II. So it was kind of in my DNA to serve through the military. And then I think I, I found that again, I know I did in local government here in Norfolk. In the private sector, people have goals, really immediate goals. Oftentimes in six months, there might be a growth goal. You have a deadline by the end of the week. Whereas local government seems perhaps a little bit more nebulous with the timelines further out in the future. From a kind of a day-to-day operational perspective, where does that drive and motivation come from? I mean, so we we try as much as we can operate the city government um, as effectively and efficiently as possible, knowing that we're we're stewards of, of the public resources. That being said, to your point, there are very much cultural differences between the private sector and the outcomes you're optimizing towards and, and those of local government. I think really what we try to do, the local government, in my opinion, um, especially here in Norfolk, is um, provide most services and assistance to those most in need. We have a fairly sizable portion of our population that relies heavily on uh, the services that our city provides. And so we try to keep them center of mind. And if we can raise up and improve the quality of life and the well-being of those residents, that is a notable and worthwhile achievement and goal that we strive for. Open data is in vogue right now with essentially every mid and large sized city attempting to institute some type of open data initiative. A lot of these can end up being 
pet projects of a type with no real discernible outcome or benefit for residents beyond a handful of residents who really love digging into huge spreadsheets. But Norfolk, on the other hand, has had real success in utilizing this data, for example, in better community engagement and consultation. Are you able to talk about that? I would love to. Yeah, we are very proud of our open data program. Back in 2016, 2017, we entered into a partnership with Bloomberg Philanthropies, What Work Cities Initiative, and we're still actively uh, a partner today with them. And one of the, the goals of that engagement was to, to, to kind of formalize and codify our open data program and really just supercharge it and get it off the ground in a, in a really meaningful way. So we work closely with the Sunlight Foundation, a partner of Work Cities, to get the governance and kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts of the program solidified and, and got a commitment from our city council around uh, transparency and a commitment to sharing data publicly that kind of uses backing for this program. And then ever since then, we've been we've just been growing. I mean, we're, we're about to cross the threshold into um, over 50 discrete data set holdings in our, in our library. Um, and we're very, we're real proud of that. We've used the platform in, a, in a several different ways. And to your point, yes, there are consumers of the data, residents, other stakeholders who just want to dig in, go through the tabular data, download it, use it in other applications, analyze it, draw conclusions, use it for business purposes. And we encourage all of that. Really, where I think we have been very successful with open data is meeting our residents and our stakeholders where they are and giving them a variety of different ways to engage with and understand the data that we have. So we we try as much as possible to, every time we release a new fresh data set, to have an accompanying data story that goes along with that. So we have are very fortunate to, to have a communications staff member on our team, Michelle, who just helps us immensely with making sense of very technical kind of data wonky content and, and pulling out the key messages, humanizing it, telling a narrative about why a resident or someone who's coming to our open data portal should care about this data and where they can go to find out more if they're really curious to really dig into the details. So we've really had success with that. Um, you know, for example, we, we created a data story on kind of Mr. Rogers-esque of where's the data in your neighborhood. And it, it's a it's a through line that really works well for data because it it kind of walks a resident in that case through all the different holdings in our open data portal that relate to one's neighborhood, civic league, services in one's community. And so whether it's a civic league president, a curious resident, or just an activist, someone who really cares about what's under the hood of, of what's going on in, in city government, they can interact with that data story and then find out all the other details about it and really get a good narrative understanding of the data. So that we've been really successful with that and have used that data story and that premise to do training sessions in partnership with one of our flagship libraries, the Slover Library downtown, to educate residents on how they can use the portal. And so the really the hub of that engagement is using the data in your neighborhood story to help folks understand how it can be helpful, why it's relevant to them. And then if they so choose, they can get into the more technical aspects of the data. So you've got to really try to meet folks where they are and give them a lot of different avenues for interacting with your data. So we've been real proud of the success we've had there. And our user base is growing year over year. And, and one thing that I think is really telling of the kind of the stickiness of our open data program is the, forgive me, I'm going to go technical and wonky here, but I think you'll follow the, the API connections. And so we're seeing hundreds of live connections to our data on an ongoing basis a day. So that really tells us that this isn't window shopping going on, that 
users are finding enough value in this program and the data and the content that we're, we're putting out and publishing to connect to it live, to drive other applications and what have you. And so uh, we really think that's a good indicator of the stickiness and, and the relevance of the program. Totally agree on the importance of wrapping narrative context around a raw data source. If I'm a citizen of 5 West 51st Street, whatever it might be in, in Norfolk, can you talk me through the different data sets that might be of value for me on a day-to-day basis, whether it's about trash pickup or streetlights or whatever it might be, and how I could actually go about integrating that into how I, for example, plan my day? Yep. So we've got a variety of data sets that are relevant to a a resident there. We've got data on all the 311 activity that is going on around your neighborhood. So you can see where there's been um, code enforcement questions um, and activity, where there has been permits pulled for doing various things. We've got data on the natural environment in your neighborhood, significant trees that are in your neighborhood if you're of that of that persuasion to, to know about kind of the significant trees in your area. We've got a lot of crime data. It's always top of mind for a lot of residents. So in the public safety community, they have been publishing data in a variety of ways for a long time for, for regulatory requirements. We figured this was another place to make public safety crime data available. So that, that is, is a very popular data set that we find people interacting with a lot. We recently added some data on tide sensors. So we've got a a small network right now, but nonetheless a network of tide sensors around the city that show every minute what the the water levels are in the city. And so, you know, sea level rise and interacting with water and living with water on a daily basis is is part of uh, what Norfolk residents deal with every day. And so having information about what the tides are doing at that minute through the open data portals, we think is really helpful. And then we also have a a multitude of address-based data. So we're very proud of an application that our GIS partners in our information technology department have built called Norfolk Air, which is the address information resource. And it's really the hub for all data around a parcel, be it a a residence or commercial or an industrial space. All of the polling stations, you know, where's the polling stations? What's your trash pickup? What's your zoning? Uh, Who are your elected officials? So Norfolk Air is, is one of our most popular applications uh, in the city and recently got a, a big tech refresh, made a lot more usability improvements. And so all of that is kind of knitted together in in the data story that I referenced around, you know, where's the data in your neighborhood? Fantastic. And you did touch on this, that Norfolk is a waterfront city and is contending with sea level rise like everywhere else in the coastal US. Has there been any discussion in how your office, obviously you're starting with those tidal sensors, may in the future be able to contribute toward creating a more resilient Norfolk? Absolutely. We've got a, a great resilience team that has a lot of technology and data skills already on board, but you know they've got some pretty major construction projects going on in the city uh, that are part of a, a larger federal grant that were, were really transforming a historic neighborhood in Norfolk to be a model for a, a waterfront neighborhood could look like in the future. And, and that takes up a lot of their day-to-day work. And so we have been having some conversations with, with the resilience of, of team and staff. How can we better support them in communicating various resilience projects that are going on around the city, make it relevant to residents? Again, you know, what, what resilience projects and efforts and improvements are happening in my neighborhood, in my watershed, in my part of the city, and what does that mean for me? We've had some, some conversations about doing that kind of work, helping, uh, also helping the resilience team think about data that can help prioritize 
resilience projects um, in a scarce resource environment is it's top of mind. I would say that our that our work with them is preliminary. They're a great partner and our resilience is is, is critical to the success of Norfolk's future. We've been around for 400 years. We certainly want to be around for more than 400 more years, but we realize that we're going to have to be innovative and continue to adapt to, to live with as a coastal city and try to make smart decisions about where, where we make investments in the city to um, you know have the best um, and most successful future that we can for the city. Thus far, we've mainly been focused on the external aspects of your office, but you also do a lot of work internally with the teams at Norfolk. Your office created the Agile Team Norfolk Initiative. What is agility to you? Agility to us is um, our philosophy in Agile Team Norfolk is that we're customer focused, we're data informed, and we're team oriented. We built this program in partnership with our, our local university, Old Dominion University, to really teach Norfolk uh, employees skills to make them experts in continuous improvement to help improve efficiency in, in their workplace. So our, our, our core belief in the project is that every employee is the expert on their work process and given more tools and training and support, they can drive improvement in their work environment. So we, we do a lot of training across all levels from line workers to managers to, to leader leadership. We've trained over 500 Team Norfolk employees over the last couple of years in agile methodologies. I think agile is always being nimble and flexible, not trying to bite off more than you can chew and, and solve the world in one fell swoop. We like to, to teach in this uh, training curriculum that you got to start small and get small wins and then add on incrementally. And so the continuous improvement mindset, what are we going to measure and really identifying upfront clearly what the problem is that we're trying to solve and not presuppose what the solution is to that problem is, is um, harder than than I thought, than I appreciated when I went through the training. And so we really try to bring some of those kind of business software development tools and kind of tailor them for local government employees. And it's been very well received. And we've got some more training coming up this year. We're also starting a a series of of initiatives to help kind of supercharge some agile projects that came out of the the, particularly the Agile Academy uh, offering that we have to to help employees get a focused environment to do an agile sprint to to try to deliver the projects that they, they came up with that was kind of a deliverable for the graduation of the Agile Academy. So we're real proud of that. We want to make data champions all over the city and, and employees who think about data as a way to improve their work processes and the services ultimately that we provide our community. And we think Agile is a, a great fit for Norfolk. And we're very proud of it. You did just touch on some of those business and not so much local government tools that your team's tasked with implementing. And I imagine you must come across a ton of really interesting, really exciting technology. I'm curious what differentiates something that's nice to have versus tools that you know are going to immediately deliver real value for stakeholders? Yeah, I, I, I hear about and receive material on a lot of very interesting, cool technology solutions. But the ones that are that are immediate that we have to focus our, our time and our attention and our resources on are those that can have a, a measurable impact on the quality of life of our residents. I heard once from a, a city manager who's been in the business a long time, he posed this as a question, What what is the what business are we in in local government? 
We're in the water business, we're in the public safety business, we're in the, he said, no, respectfully, I think you're wrong. We are in the business of well-being. And if we can tie what we do and what we invest in, what technologies we, we adopt to the well-being of our residents to make us a more responsive government, then those are the things that we have to focus on. So we, over the last couple of years, our IT department has invested heavily in, in a, a bunch of legacy system updates that we have the beneficiaries of, of the improved data streams coming out of them now. For that, we're, we're very appreciative. We, we overhauled our, our 311 system and created a system called MyNorfolk that has more you know, mobile capability, more dashboarding, more kind of data analytics capability to help us understand our stream of requests and challenges that come in through the 311 system. So that is, you know, resident driven for the most part, where people call into the call center and and make a service request, have an issue that they need resolved with the city. And, and that that CRM system really helps us to, to um, deliver uh, in a more timely and effective way for residents. And so that's certainly something that has been worth investing in. Um, we've also invested in a new enterprise system to track work orders, work requests and, and the kind of the flow of all of our operational departments. That's kind of the bread and butter of what local government does is the water and the trash, the cutting of the grass, the maintaining of the parks, and all of that is underpinned by a lot of rich data. And so we are, we, we're actually just getting ready to release our first open data set out of that system, catalogs all of the work orders for our public works streets and bridges division. And so we're really excited to, to see how we can grow that and, and offer more in open data, but then also use it internally to help drive uh, efficient service delivery to really start measuring, you know, how long it takes to do different things in the city and um, manage expectations with residents as to what it's going to take to do X, Y, and Z and, and see if we can't improve on that. Back in the day, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was common for a C to essentially have one large software vendor that took care of a whole range of functions. Whereas nowadays with the explosion of SaaS and no code or even low code software environments, there's a ton of different verticals popping up, each essentially taking care of a different slice of city business. From your perspective, do you think one system is more efficient than the other? And potentially this is more of an IT question, but Mm -hmm. is having the single throat to choke, even though it may not be as innovative or cutting edge, provide more benefits than having perhaps a dozen different SaaS applications that all have to integrate with each other? I've been in conversations with our IT uh, partners and can certainly convey and, and, and endorse what their, what their opinion is on this. Is We found ourselves in a situation in Norfolk where we have a lot of applications from many vendors that our city IT team is charged with supporting from on the internal side. And so we've probably swung pretty far in that direction of having a lot of slices and a lot of vendors providing different services. And we're trying to consolidate a little bit back down to a more manageable uh, number of verticals so that our backend database teams and and, and software teams um, and network security teams, frankly, can... uh, can more effectively support and understand, you know, what's going outside the firewall and what we have to bring in. So I certainly think it's a balance, but we are trying to deliberately sunset some some legacy applications that maybe have served their useful lifespan and we may not need to to support anymore. Just kind of consolidate a little bit. So we're kind of swinging back towards that that less vertical space right now. 
When you're coming almost from the outside and working with another department, is there ever an innovation hump? You know, take a department that may be doing something the same way for years and years and even comfortable with inefficiencies that lie within that process. Is it ever a case that you have to kind of shock the system to get buy-in for a project that might mean change, which of course, change can be scary and, and unappetizing in the short term? So we prefer not to use the, uh, the shock the system method. We've had really good success, I think, using the approach of, of building trust in departments. We have a, a saying in our team of gentle pressure, relentlessly applied. And I think it works really well uh, culturally here in Norfolk and, and, and maybe outside of, of Norfolk, I hope. We are just relentless, but in a very gentle way that whether it's getting data released into our open data portal or starting a new partnership with the department to work on data cleaning of their, their streams and dashboard it you know, for leadership and decision-making. That's kind of the approach that we take. And it's kind of built on itself as we've, as we've had some early wins, particularly with our Civic Lab team come, coming together in the last year and a half. We knew we had to get some, some good wins and celebrate those wins and demonstrate them both publicly and to, to internal stakeholders. And, and the gears start turning with other departments and more opportunities for, for partnerships and innovation have popped up. And so initially when we started formally this effort, there was a lot of us going out. This is what, what we think Civic Lab is. This is what we can offer you. Please let us know how we can be helpful. Now we field requests from departments asking, can you help with X, Y, and Z? We saw what you did with this other department. It would be really nice if we could do something similar, but a little bit different in our department. And so I really feel like we, we've gotten um, some traction there and the organization has started to see the value of uh, a team like the Civic Lab team, because we really try to think of ourselves like public entrepreneurs. There's some really great work on this concept out of NYU that really resonated with me to think, you know, while we're a public organization and a public team, going back to the beginning part of this discussion, because we're kind of a niche, n- new age team, we, we have to think a little bit differently and, and think about what value do we bring to our customers, more business oriented, and um, and how are we making their processes better, more efficient, more impactful for residents. And so that's kind of the, the ethos that we bring. And it, it's worked out really well so far. And um, we have a backlog now of, of things and we have to decide, you know, what we're going to do next instead of how we're going to fill our dance card, which I think is a great place to be. Pete, looking forward, what most excites you about the future as it relates to city government? City government is, uh, I think, the greatest opportunity to make an impact on you know, the population that you're, you're charged with caring for. It's really exciting to me. It's what drew me to lo- local government. Um, after I left the military, I worked in the, the public policy space, the think tank space for a number of years, kind of at the, the federal level. Love the work, love the colleagues, love the organizations that I worked for and, and clients that we had. But I was here in Norfolk and I realized one day, I think maybe after a, a local election or something, that I didn't know what was going on around me in this town. And how does this place work? How does this thing come together? What are the, the nuts and bolts of, of, of Norfolk government? And kind of a light bulb went off in my head that um, maybe I could take the skills that I'd learned on the experiences that I had in the military in my post-military post, uh, life and apply them t- to my community. So I really do think local government is, is really where it's at when it comes to impact. I've heard people say, no, it's at the, you know, you want to have the biggest scope and breadth and the, and the most resources. So federal government's where it's at because you have a 
lot more resources, relatively speaking, and your impact is very wide. Um, I, I tend not to agree with that wholeheartedly. I really think that being able to go around the city and, and see tangible improvements in services and quality of life that we as public servants are, are making for our residents, that is really, really exciting to me. And it really inspires me to continue a career in local government. We have a, a closing question here. It's pretty simple. What's one accepted truth of local government that you think is incorrect? So I think that there's a perception among some that there's no innovation at local government, that it's just keeping the lights on, keeping the water flowing, keeping the trash picked up. If you can do those things and just keep doing them, that's what you're doing in local government. And I, I, don't, I don't believe that's true. I think there is, there's a lot of opportunity for innovation and process improvement and using data to, to really inform resource allocations, business decisions, and leadership decisions in, in the city. So that's the space we're in. So I'm, I'm bullish on it. And we've really been fortunate to, to be given the opportunity by our city leadership to, to kind of bring together a team more formally in the city to, to shepherd innovation and really work in partnership with other city departments to to help them improve the services that they provide in, on behalf of residents. So I think there's a lot of innovation going on at the local level. I think the results are are pretty tangible when, you, when, you, when you're successful because you can see it and you can hear from residents and you get immediate feedback, both good and bad, from your customers. I think it was uh, Senator Tim Kaine, who was previously the the mayor of Richmond, Virginia. And he said one of the best jobs he ever had was, was mayor of Richmond, paraphrasing here. Um, but one of the, the challenges uh, and benefits of it both at the same time is you cannot hide from or shy away from your customers and your constituents because they're right there. They're your neighbors. And so I think that really does drive a lot of innovation to, to improve. And like I said, the, the results can be really tangible when you create a new process or even just tweak an existing process, which is a lot of the time what happens to just make it a little bit better, a little at a time. And you just got to be relentless, but gentle about it. Um, and that's how we, we've been successful, I think. Pete, have really enjoyed hearing your thought leadership on innovation, agility and change within city government. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a blast. Really do appreciate it. Likewise, Jack. Thank you for having me. It's me again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on LinkedIn. See you soon.